0: This is Our American Stories, and we love to tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports, and from history to business, science, and everything in between. And we love to tell your stories. Send them to us at ouramericannetwork.org. That's ouramericannetwork.org. And our own Alex Cortez loves to bring us powerful stories about human freedom and the absence of it. And here's his latest.
1: Peter Wolf grew up in the wake of World War II in Germany. In what was then a divided country, the Western nations of Britain, America and France oversaw West Germany, and the Soviet Union oversaw the East where Peter was.
2: I enjoyed bicycling and I found this old bicycle that I fixed up. I took that bike one time pretty far out in the country and you were not allowed to travel too far away from your home without proper paperwork. So all of a sudden this car pulled up, a bunch of Russian soldiers in it, and they interrogated me where I was going. And I said I was just going for a ride. And they told me that I wasn't allowed to and that I needed to go back home. And they followed me. So this was my first encounter where police and soldiers stopped me from doing something that I enjoyed doing. And then later on, they told my mother that I had gone too far. My mother scolded me in front of them, but privately, she said, Look, don't get these soldiers or the police upset. It's it, You don't want to upset them. And I didn't quite understand all of that. I was maybe 11 years old at the time. So it was very confusing to me why we were being so confined. In school, we were always told that Germany was a German democratic republic, that we were free to vote, free to do anything we wanted to. Of course, I would go with my mother to vote. And the process was, There was a man sitting on a desk and my mother would lean over on that desk and she would put her signature next to the person that she wanted to vote for. And she told me that if she put the signature for the other person, who was not the favorite candidate, that the man in front of the desk would of course see that and make a mark in another book. And that was the book where you don't want to be in there because you would be ostracized and punished wherever possible, since everything was controlled by the government, everything. So they had total control. You were allowed to vote and you could choose which way you wanted to vote. But if you chose wrong, then you would be punished for it. And people were very much afraid all the time. So I was getting these conflicting dialogues, one at school, one at home. And you like to believe your parents, but of course you spend an awful lot of time at school. And you really didn't know, you simply did not know what was true and what was not, it was very conflicting.
1: Peter's parents knew that they wanted to illegally escape to West Germany and then to America. But young Peter wasn't sure he was conflicted.
2: We had relatives in America and we had some pictures that we saw that they had mailed to us. And we saw America as something that was absolutely unbelievable. The fact that you could own a car, drive a car, you didn't have to have paperwork to go from one state to another. It was just unreal. And of course, in school, we were told that people were very oppressed in that country. It was mandatory for us to read Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is a book written about America by an American author, Harriet Beecher Stowe. And that book portrays black Americans as living in squalor. And this is exactly what we were taught America was all about. Anything else we saw about America was fake propaganda. And that's what we believed.
1: For the Soviets to use the sin of slavery to downplay their killing of at least 13 million of their own citizens is pretty rich. Meanwhile, Peter Wolf's family was about to become pretty poor.
2: We had saved up a lot of money carefully so that we could use that money to bribe our way into the West. In order for the government to keep people back in East Germany, one day the government decided to negate all the savings that people had by simply changing the currency. They didn't tell anyone about it. You had a certain amount of time, one day, to transfer your money in the bank to a new currency which looked different But if you had too much money that you had hoarded or saved up, the government, since you were not a good communist by having so much money, uh, declared it worthless. And we never really took it. Nobody took it to the bank if they had more than they were supposed to have. So we had a few hundred marks perhaps uh, in the bank that was converted and the rest was lost. That money became worthless. And at that point, our family was very distraught over it.
1: Peter's dad was so distraught that he ended his life.
2: And that was a very traumatic experience.
0: And when we come back, more of the Wolf's family story and what a story it is, not told enough here in this country in our schools, but told here on Our American Stories. is our American stories, and we return to Peter Wolf's story. His family is hoping to escape Soviet-controlled Eastern Germany and escape to the West and the Free West. This is before they put up the Berlin Wall, but it was still harrowing.
2: If all three of us would have left, it would have caused too much suspicion. I was left behind at some neighbors, and my mother took my sister and worked herself towards the West German border. They were caught, and they were detained for a night at a soldier barracks. Now, here was my mother and my 15-year-old sister. In the morning, they were let go and told to go back to east germany instead my mother went for a ways and then made a u-turn and snuck into the forest trying to get across the border at that point the soldiers saw them again and started shooting after them so they were actually running the two of them across the border with soldiers shooting at them but they made it across and my mother stayed in west germany for about a week and eventually left my sister in West Germany with hopes that she would make her way over to America. She was 15 years old. She left her with some friends and said her goodbyes and came back. And when she came back, my mother was interrogated by the local police for several days by the Stasi asked why my sister didn't come back. And my mother simply said that she didn't want to come back. And at that point, my mother was ostracized as a traitor. She was given different work assignments that were much more difficult. It was made very clear to her that my prospects would not include high school. I would have to go to work at some factory as an apprentice. A mark was put in her passport that would prevent her from going anywhere near the border, anywhere closer to 20 kilometers, because of course people thought that she might want to escape as well. It was made very, very clear to her that she would be put in prison Many people that we knew who had tried that would actually go to the gulags in Russia, be transferred into Siberia, and never be heard of again. The children that were left behind were often put into orphanages and then properly raised by the communist government. So that would have been my fate if my mother were caught anywhere near the border. She had to get rid of that mark in her passport but she didn't know what the mark was. So one day she spilled some ink on the passport. And then she said, oh no, how terrible. And she would hold the passport underneath the water trying to get rid of the ink. And she would put this thing on in front of me and I didn't know any different. And she would pour the water over the passport and of course the passport got all wet at that point. So she turned the gas burner on and trying to dry up the passport after it got all wet. Well, lo and behold, the passport caught fire and some of the pages burned up. Well, this was all very carefully orchestrated because she wanted to uh, burn up the pages that had the mark in there. She knew that some of those pages had the mark, but she just didn't know what it was or where it was. It was a weekend, and the local police station was already closed, where you would normally get a new passport. We would go to the larger city nearby, Leipzig, and there she went into the police station and asked for another passport because it was close to Christmas time and she wanted to travel to to a relative somewhere else in East Germany. Of course, the police officer said, Sure, lady, no problem. Just go to your local police station and they'll do it. They'll give you a new passport. And she says, no, no, no. There is no time. And I need to go there in the next few days. And the police said, said, well, there's nothing we can do. Well, at that point, my mother had a tantrum. She just started wailing and crying and shouting. And I couldn't tell if it was real or not. But the policeman got all crazy about it. And my mother got crazy about it. And he called one of his superiors over. And finally, after my mother wouldn't budge, the superior said, look, let's, let's just process her a temporary passport until she can next week go and get her normal passport from her local police station. So they processed a temporary passport, and the intent was for my mother to get that from that distant police station since they didn't really know her and wouldn't put that mark in that the local police station would surely put back in. So she ended up getting it. My mother had really orchestrated this very carefully. I was completely in the dark. I thought all of this was real. And the reason she did that was to shield me from maybe divulging if they asked me what was going on. And this was, of course, about four years after my sister had escaped. I remember very clearly Christmas Eve, I was playing with my friends downstairs, it was wintertime, and I came up for lunch. And as I came up for lunch, in the bedroom on the bed was a small suitcase, all packed up. And I was curious as to what that suitcase was all about. My mother had made me some lunch, and she said, now, Peter, I want you to be very careful what you say to your friends, but I want you to say goodbye to them after lunch. Go back downstairs and say goodbye. Tonight, we're leaving. I said, leaving? We're leaving our home. We're going, hopefully, to meet up with your sister. And she asked me also to put a toy. She said, pick your favorite toy and put it in the suitcase. I had a little electric train, train set, and I put that in there. Uh, I went back downstairs, said goodbye to my friends, didn't tell anyone anything of our plans. My mother had purchased a Christmas tree She had decorated the Christmas tree, so from the outside it looked as if we were celebrating Christmas as usual. And this was to avoid any suspicion with the neighbors. So, in the evening, she took me and the little suitcase and we walked about two blocks to the local streetcar. We took the streetcar from our little town to the nearer, larger town. And there we boarded a train to Berlin. In Berlin, we got off the train and quickly went to a subway. In the subway, we bought a ticket that took us from East Berlin where we were to another section in East Berlin. But there was one stop that the subway would make in West Berlin. The intent was to get off there but our ticket was actually took us back into the eastern sector. Now my mother, I didn't appreciate all of this, but my mother was taking a huge gamble by getting on that subway. If the identification in her passport included the mark she was obviously closer than 20 kilometers from the border now, and she would have been arrested. So when we got on the subway, it was a moment of no return for her. I, I just can't even imagine what, what she committed to. But she did, and we got into the subway, and there were a few other people in there. Train started moving. Pretty soon, the train got to the station. Just before the West Berlin station, when the doors opened, Russian soldiers came on, one in the front, one in the back with machine guns, and an officer would walk in and interrogate various people for their paperwork.
0: And what a scene Peter Wolf is setting up. His story, a story of Soviet totalitarianism, and totalitarianism of all sorts, it's still around us. Everywhere in this world, Peter Wolf's story continues here on Our American Stories. return to the story of Peter Wolf's escape and his family's escape from East Germany and Soviet-controlled East Germany with his mom. They're now on a train making their escape and suddenly Russian soldiers appear
2: on board. There was a couple that sat in front of us and the Russian sergeant asked for their paperwork, looked through it, found it to be okay, and started walking towards us. At that point, the couple gave a big sigh of relief, and they smiled at each other. The Russian sergeant in Russian mumbled, well, I wonder what they're smiling about. And of course, he mumbled it in Russian, but I understood what he was saying. And he was looking at me, and he realized that I understood what he was saying. And he said, Baruski, do you speak Russian? I said, da. And at that point, my mother who was holding my hand started to squeeze my hand because she told me not to say a word to anyone. And here this Russian sergeant started talking to me. And he said to me in Russian, I wonder why these people are so happy and smiling. And I responded in Russian, I don't know. My mother didn't speak Russian, so she didn't know what I was saying, and here I was talking to the guy that was gonna interrogate us. She was pale. The Russian soldier said, well, we better find out what they're so happy about, and he motioned to one of his soldiers, and they came and escorted the couple out. They never came back. At that point, he took the paperwork that my mother had, and he continued to talk to me in Russian. I told him about a pen pal I had in Moscow. And he complimented me on how well I spoke Russian. And he looked through the paperwork, eventually gave it back to my mother and moved on. Of course, we didn't sigh, I knew that much. He went on and interrogated some other people and eventually the Russian soldier left. The doors closed, the train started moving again. Stopped at the next stop, which was West Berlin. Doors opened. Just before they closed, my mother grabbed the little suitcase, grabbed me, and we snuck out the door. Doors closed, here we were in West Berlin. We made it. My mother asked the local policeman where to go to directed us to go to a uh, fugitive camp. And when we got there, there were hundreds if not thousands of people, all with a little suitcase. Uh, Many of them holding on to their children, having the same intention that we had. There were so many, in fact, that there wasn't enough room in the fugitive camp. We were put on a bus and taken to an old factory. There were about 100 bunk beds in a big room. And here it was Christmas Eve. There were children crying, mothers consoling their children. The men usually were snoring like crazy. And I remember crying myself to sleep because it was Christmas Eve and I didn't get any presents. (laughs) And I felt pretty sorry for myself. Every day, the heads of household would have to go from the old factory to the fugitive camp in a bus. After they handled their paperwork there in order to process their immigration to West Germany, in the evening, the bus would come back and people would be reunited. Usually it was the husband that would leave and then in the evening come back. My mother would also be on that bus all the time, so it was just her and I. One day, one of those bus drivers, apparently, was paid off by the East Germans, and instead of taking the entire load of the bus to the fugitive camp, they went back to East Germany and soldiers and police were waiting for them. We found out that all those heads of households had been recaptured. It was probably one of the most anguishing experiences I have ever experienced. The mothers and children left behind, they didn't know what to do. They had given up everything, and now what should they do? Several of them had befriended other families, and they gave their older children to those other families to take to the West. And the mother and the younger children would go back to the East. Who knows what would happen to them? The love that the wives had for their husbands, even though their life in East Germany would be miserable, they still knew that they wanted to be with them instead of just leaving them behind. And to leave your oldest child with strangers, hoping for the best for them, knowing that you would probably never see them again. And I still have... problems. Trouble understanding how those people dealt with that. We had legal documentation to immigrate to America and we bought a one way ticket on the MS Berlin, which was one of the last immigrant boats to leave from Germany to New York. It was a 10 day journey. We probably had the bunk in the lowest compartment way down in the bowels of the boat. And on the ninth day, the captain told us that if we wanted to get up early in the morning, we may be able to see the Statue of Liberty as we came into New York. And I probably got up at two or three in the morning and tiptoed up on the top of the boat. And there was not a sound up there, No one was up there, it was foggy, it was misty, just a real serene environment. Tiptoed up and I was trying to work my way towards the front of the boat and hung on to various railings when all of a sudden I bumped into someone. And then I bumped into someone else and I didn't think anybody was up there. And as I got closer to the front of the boat, I realized that instead of me being one of the first people to be up there, I was probably one of the last people. Hundreds of people were pressed against the railing, straining their eyes, wanting to see that Statue of Liberty. It represent hope, freedom, and liberty to all these immigrants. Hardly any of them spoke the same language. And I kind of squeezed myself up to the railing. And sure enough, as the mist slowly raised, first you could see the light of the Statue of Liberty and then the statue itself. Not a sound, people were completely quiet. Every time I tell the story, I get very emotional about it.
0: And Peter Wolf was one of the reasons why the Berlin Wall went up. More accurately, he was one of the millions of reasons why up to four million people escaped the communist East to the free West until the Soviets finally said enough and built that wall. When we come back, the rest of Peter Wolf's remarkable journey to his new home. American stories, and we're back with the final portion of Peter Wolf's story. His family had escaped Soviet-controlled East Germany, and now they had made their way to, of all places, Chicago.
2: My sister set up an apartment in a community that was about 95% Jewish. And here, this was in the 1960s, not many years after the Second World War, this German family moves in, and I didn't understand, but most of the kids didn't want to have anything to do with me. But it wasn't until some time later when the teacher came to me and she said, Peter, we're going to be looking at a movie today. About Germany. And if you don't want to watch that movie, it's okay. And I said, Why wouldn't I want to watch it? And she said, Well, it shows some bad things that the German people did. And I said, It wasn't me. And she said, Okay, you can stay if you want. And I stayed, and the movie started playing.
0: visited Buchenwald concentration camp.
2: And all of a sudden, the scene showed these emaciated people in concentration camps and German soldiers. I didn't know what to do. I I had no comprehension. And the movie depicted that these were mostly Jewish people in concentration camps by the Germans.
1: Do believe me when I tell you that the reality was indescribably worse than these pictures.
2: And all of a sudden, I understood (laughs) that my classmates were from Jewish families. Many of them perhaps had lost loved ones in that environment. I had never been taught that before. My mother never talked about it. School in Germany was never talked about. I was so distraught that I simply got up Mm -hmm. and ran out of the school. And I think I stayed home for about two weeks. I I just couldn't face these kids anymore. I I felt so bad. After about a week or two, Leon Stern came to my apartment and said, Peter, uh, we want you to come back. I said, well, how could you? Look what my people did. And uh, he was very kind. I remember he invited me that evening to his house. And his parents were very, very kind to me and accepted me. Later on, I found out that they, too, had lost loved ones in Germany. But I felt accepted, and I went back to school. And many of the children there then, I think they must have been taught by some of the teachers that it wasn't me that did those things. But many of the children came and uh, befriended me. I was invited to their parties. And As a matter of fact, Leon and one particular other feller, Joe Kaufman, became one of my best friends. I was very anxious to be naturalized. I wanted to be a citizen of America. I embraced America. I wanted to speak English very well. I wanted to be an American. I wanted to do everything American. I had passed my exam, received my naturalization, I took my oath, and when I returned, From the naturalization office, Leon greeted me at my school, and he said, hey, let's celebrate a little bit. Let's go and have lunch together. So we went to the lunchroom, and lo and behold, when I opened the door, I think the whole school was there. All the classes were let out to celebrate that I became a naturalized citizen. Again, you know, this is a 95% Jewish school, and they all rallied around me that I became a naturalized citizen. A few years ago, I was on a plane ride when I sat next to Michael Reagan, President Reagan's son. It blew my mind, and he explained how he was going to go back to Germany on November 9th, 2009 to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Berlin Wall coming down, and he was going to dedicate a room of paraphernalia from President Reagan to the museum over there at Checkpoint Charlie. I said, interesting you should mention Berlin because 50 years ago this year, I escaped through Berlin to come to America, his jaw sort of hung open and he said, really? I don't think he believed me, but I told him yes and I told him I would send him some material, and I did. And a week later he called me and he said, Peter, I want you to be part of a delegation to go back to Germany this November and be there when I dedicate the room in the Czech and Charlie Museum. My son, 29-year-old son and I, we got a plane ticket and we went back to Germany. This was the first time I went back in 50 years to East Germany. My mother always told me never to write to anyone in East Germany out of fear that they would get in trouble. So I lost all contact with my friends, my relatives, everyone. I visited the fugitive camp that we went to when we escaped and it was still there. They made a museum out of it. And my son didn't understand that my emotions were very tender when I walked in there because it was just like 50 years had gone by at a blink of an eye. And there's a little statue in front of the fugitive camp of a little bronze suitcase, because that is the thing that was common to all those fugitives. We uh, also traveled to my hometown. And on the last day in Germany, we were there about 10 days. By coincidence, I touched base with somebody at my hometown who knew somebody that I went to school with. On the 10th day, I called up that lady and she said, yes, I got his number here. Call it. So I did. And it was Gunto Tita. And I remember it when I called it and I said, this is Peter, Peito boy." And I think he was jumping up and down. He, he just, I could tell on his voice that he must have been jumping up and down for joy to hear my voice. So he said, Peter, if you can, we have a dinner tonight, and most of your classmates will be there. Can you come? I said, of course, I'll be there. And we all met. And what a reunion it was. Mm-hmm. Gunda Tittle mentioned to me that they've been meeting almost every year as a class reunion. And he showed me the pamphlet from the previous year. And he said, now, Peter, don't get upset when you look at this. And I said, well, why should I get upset? And I thumbed through it, and at the very end, it said, in memorandum, Peter Wolf. In other words, I had died. And I said, what's this? And he said, two years after you left, the communists had told us that you and your sister died in a car accident. And that was to prevent any of us trying to reach out and maybe help escape. And I sort of understood at that point why they all wanted to meet me, of course, to see the ghost of Peter Wolf. (laughs) At the very end, I asked uh, one of them, I said, what was it like to live in East Germany all these years? And the table became very quiet. No one said a word until one person spoke up and he said, Peter, you would have had to live here to know what it was like. And then he said, Peter, what was it like to live in America? What do you tell someone what freedom is like? You can't put it into words. So all I could muster was to say you would have had to live there to know what it was like.
0: And a great job, as always, Alex, and great job on the production by Robbie. And thanks to Peter Wolf, and thanks to the VictimsofCommunism.org. That's where we got the piece from, VictimsofCommunism.org, and you can hear so many other stories there. And by the way, Peter does speeches for them all around the country, Imagine hearing this man and this story at your school. Again, go to victimsofcommunism.org. And when people talk about places like Cuba, places where you cannot escape, places where there are walls that you can't get out of, well, we're talking about a prison camp at this point, folks. And that's what East Germany was. It was a prison camp long before the wall even went up. And when it came down, well, what a story that was. Peter Wolf's story. And in a way, so many refugees of that time, here on Our American Stories.